Pick up your paintbrush, it's time for Hobby Support Group. Good morning, Andy. Morning, Tom. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm quite excited about this Sunday. And what are we up to this Sunday? We're heading to Selwick, which is very exciting. It's just not too far from me. No, it's just the other side of London for me, so it's not too terrible a journey either. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a bring and buy. It's going to be stalls. It's going to be all kinds of wargaming fun taking place. I've never been before. Have you been, Tom? I've never been before either. So it's going to be very, very exciting. So we might be a bit lonely. So if you see us there, if you're going, we'll probably be wearing our Hobby Support Group T-shirts and maybe a cravat as well. Um, so come and say hello to us at the show. So hopefully we'll see you, some of you on this Sunday, the 16th of October. So hopefully yep. this episode will come out a little bit earlier to give you some so, headway to come and see us. So probably tomorrow. And you can come and ask us some really good questions at the show. If you'd like to say hello to people, people ask us good questions. What kind of good questions have you, have you heard uh, recently, Tom, in a beautiful segue? Listener questions. Start off with in a, in a heavy hitting question from Callum. Mm -hmm. Has anyone had issues with new paintbrushes losing their point incredibly quickly? No. <laughs> anyway next question yes um like callum says he's just bought some new gw brushes and it's like painting with a splayed spider on the end of the brush i think some brushes you buy i've had brushes that lose their point really quickly i've had others which last months and months if not years and i think sometimes you can buy half a dozen brushes five of them will be great one of them will go like a spider instantly i don't think there's a huge amount you can do i think there there are things for like brush care you can make sure you always clean them out don't hammer them you know try and clean them you, know, you can give them some bit of brush soap bit of washing up liquid in your thinning water whatever um i don't know how about you andy do you have any more um i i have brush soap and i i try to use that i'll be honest i don't use it every time I should use it every time. So if you've got a natural brush, you should use uh, brush soap and you can get some little pots of it. They're really good. I recommend they extend the life of your brush. Um, but yes, yeah, sometimes you get a bad a bad brush, unfortunately. Um, it's just the way uh, nature of the beast. Um, and yeah, I find uh, some, some brush soap can help you reshape the tip. But um, yeah, the, there's no guarantee of brushes, unfortunately. Now, you can, if you've just got like one or two bristles that have sort of splayed out, you can always snip them off. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think I, I find that I, I use that sort of gives my brushes generally a longer life is I use. I might have like two or three brushes of the same size, but I use them for different processes of the painting. So when I'm like doing like the block colours or like a base coating and I'm going to be putting like slightly more paint on and being a bit more heavy handed with the brush. I use a brush that is a bit longer in the tooth. Mm -hmm. it, it might not have, it might be a bit splayed out. It's probably very splayed out, but it doesn't really matter because I'm just putting big blocks of colour on. And yeah. then when, and then like when I'm doing the, the more fine, like I'm doing straps or that sort of thing, I'll go to one with a finer point and then yeah. sort of 
when that finer point one is sort of a bit too worn for doing that sort of stuff, it then moves into my base coating brush. And it's Don't dry brush with your fine detail brush. That's my top tip. Yeah. It's going to wreck it in no time. Use an old brush for that. And just trying to not, like, I, I try and be as, as gentle with my brushes as I can. So I'm just not like ramming the point into the model that I'm painting. So it all gets splayed out or, and like try and not get the fennel all yeah. filled up. With Don't paint. dip your paint too far, your brush too far in your paint. You know, that's really, really it for brushes. <clears throat> What was that? Anyway, um, that's really it for brushes, isn't it? I mean, just just take care of them, uh, or buy really cheap ones and throw them away. If you're going to buy expensive ones, then you know treat them like they're expensive. Yeah, I think like sometimes you can like with the cheap brushes, you might get like nine which are rubbish and one that's golden that lasts you ages. Yeah. But with, with expensive brushes, you might get nine which are good and one which is rubbish. It's yeah. There is no right and wrong. It's it's brushes is like paint. It's what you like and what you appreciate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I can rip through some cheap brushes pretty quickly and then buy another pack of cheap brushes or, you know, I might fork out for the good ones and have them last for ages. It's, you know, what works for you? Yeah, I, I can buy like a pack of 10 brushes for a fiver. And in all honesty, they will probably last me less time than like one brush that I pay a fiver for. But yeah. I know other, I have other friends who like, use 99p brushes and they're much better painters than i am so it's it's just what works for you so from from a hard-hitting brush chat now let's I'm move still on i'm to, still reeling from that brush chat tom let's move on to glue chat oh so this is a question from jan do you use super glue or white pva and i think this was in specifically when they were using some super glue to put the rigging on some of their tiny mm -hmm. ships and now neither you or i rig tiny little ships and so paul king tiger replied to the question that he has in the past used super glue but if he was to do it again he would try tacky pva as the super glue gives the pva will probably give you that little bit more chance to reposition yeah the thing with super glue is you put it on it sets you're done that's it it's that's how it's going to be certainly with rigging something's fine delicate as that string you know you, that's it. Whereas PVA gives you a bit more time, but it does take longer to dry. I know for uh, brass etch or like emblems on a pauldron of a space screen or something, I will use PVA. Yeah, I, I, I tend to, the only time I tend to use super glue is actually when I'm gluing a model to a base. Mm -hmm. And that's because I, I find like gluing any I've, I've glued enough metal minis in the past just with straight super glue to find that as soon as you drop them they just explode mm -hmm. or they break and, and so i try to not use i try to avoid using super glue wherever possible um like sometimes you have to use it when you're like using pins and that sort of stuff mm -hmm. but yeah decent tacky pva i find is is much better and certainly for the cockpits the glass transparent cockpits of cars or planes or whatever it might be Definitely use super, don't use super glue. I know that fogs it up. Yeah, it frosting it fogs up. The from episodes of CSI, I know that they use super glue to get fingerprints on things because it will drift up and it all sticks to the grease and it all. 
missed it up and show up all your fingerprints on the yep. inside of the cockpit, which is a bad idea after you spent hours painting the little guy flying the plane. For deca decals, I use a uh, microsol and microset. Mm -hmm. It's it's like two. It, and to be honest, I bought a pot of them, a pot, a pot each of them, probably about 10 years ago. Yeah. And I've probably used less than 10% of the pot. Yeah. Like I would, I would imagine it would probably cost me about a tenner for both bottles. And I would be surprised if I buy another bottle in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's like I, I find that great. It, it, it really good for repositioning decals and stuff. Doesn't leave any marks just works really great i think something else if, if you are using super glue and you, you sort of want it to behave really quickly bit of super glue activator is never a bad idea so it's yeah. i mean instantly. i like to i like to use super glue to stick my hands to um an artillery piece about 25 to 30 times before i finally get the piece fully assembled correctly yeah. i don't know about you tom Oh yeah, it's uh, it's a joy. It's the gun shield, isn't it? It's it, yeah. It, it, it's gun you've shield. Just, you've just got it in your hands. It's just set, and that's when you realise your hands are stuck to the the um, the anti tank gun, and then you just like I can't pull my hands off without actually breaking the model. That's yeah, always that's and then, then you have that calculation of is the alignment is the wheel alignment more important than my fingertips? Ah, <laughs> ah. Like, yes. Yes, yes, it is. We'll go from there. So actually now moving into a gaming question, which this came up during the Hobby Hangout uh, mm -hmm. last week. If you would listen out on the next Hobby Sport Group, Hobby Hangout will be on Sunday, November the 6th, mm -hmm. 8 p.m. UK time. Check out the Hobby Sport Group page where a Zoom link will be posted up. And a question that came up there is, what is or what makes a good three-person game? Because I'd say three players is the best for a three-person game. Because <laughs> this came about how sometimes, like, if there's four of you, obviously you can have two two-player games more. Yeah. But when you sometimes, when there's three of you, it can be quite difficult to actually have a decent game because it can just become two of you end up ganging up on the third. Yeah, and it's, it's just sort of not fun, or, or, or most missions and games just aren't designed for three people. So, I remember when we used to play 40k, there was a mission we always used to play if we had three players, which was like the, the failed peace treaty. So, you placed at the center of the board your three HQ units, and then you randomized who had the first turn, and then you rolled for reinforcements. So, your army, so the first turn would be the three HQs on the table trying to get a peace agreement and then it's all gone wrong it's all fallen apart and the fight has started and so you then move on units from the board as reserves from your board edges be free board edges and because uh, you can never rely on exactly what was going to come on and when it was going to come on and you know it was it's it, yeah it balanced things out a little bit i tend to prefer games yeah, so i'm playing with three players i tend to be <clears throat> excuse me Whenever I end up playing with three players, which is quite often actually these days, since me, you, and Ed seems to play quite a lot of games. Yeah, but we do have other friends as well, but they're not as cool. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, all my other friends. <laughs> um. 
so I think I think it, it for me it works best when it's a, a 2v1 game because uh-huh. I, I think you can then have you're all working towards the same objective and it, it might be two slightly smaller forces face a larger force or I, I think that works well I think alternatively it can be a game like something like zone alpha where it's the three of you independently fighting against the board yeah a cooperative game where the three players are against uh a controlled like monster that's like yeah yeah i i think that can work quite well um i think also possibly like well it's something that we're planning doing with the english civil war campaign that mm-hmm. you will be hearing a lot more about in the coming weeks that's going to be really it's a three-player game but the third player, in this case you, is going to be more like a sort of game master, umpire, slash occasional third party. Thorn in the side of both parties, yeah. So I think that, yeah, I, I don't think there is necessarily sort of a specific game that you just go, this makes a great three-player game. I think that there are games that lend themselves towards being a more third player game where I think you, you maybe have forces which can be you know somebody can have more and somebody can have less but two smaller mm-hmm. forces aren't handicapped as the, the larger force like, I, I don't think so much like a game like Frostgrave maybe works so well because as soon as you've got one person against two wizards mm-hmm. one wizard against two wizards it just doesn't sort of stack quite so well but I would also say it's the right kind of attitude as well when you bring it to the game. If you're playing like this is the super competitive game, we have to. I'm playing to win. If we're just playing, we're just playing a game. You know. Yeah. Well, I think th- this leads brilliantly into the next question, and I think really sort of it, it is very much adjacent, if not directly connected. A uh, question from Mike: Are like are people more important than the game? And I would um, say. I completely think so. I think yeah. you can take the best game in the world and make it a terrible experience playing with the wrong people. I yeah. think likewise, you can take a pretty naff game, play it with the right people and have a lot of fun. Yeah, we could play tiddlywinks, Tom, and we would have a great night. Yeah. Winking our tiddlies and it'd be great. <laughs> Uh, but then I hear horror stories of people going to events and just having the most competitive, awful players, like awful stories. Um, you know, and I'm just like, why would you put yourself through that? Why And why would someone do that to someone else as well? It's like there could be no, this is not sparking joy for anyone. <laughs> why are you doing that? You know, it's. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, I think it also I think it comes down a lot to what is your primary motivation for gaming really like yeah. I, I know in my case my primary motivation for actual gaming is i'm hanging out and socializing with my friends yeah and the game is really just a means to an end to yeah. what we're doing it doesn't really matter that much like the the wider hobbying for me Gaming is really a. It's not a secondary consideration, but 
it probably it, it really is in a way it's that, like two it's like two separate hobbies isn't it There's yes doing getting the models ready is one hobby and playing with them is the other hobby yeah and it's it, it, like one doesn't have to necessarily influence the other yeah. like I, I paint loads of toy soldiers but i actually just really like playing keyforged or playing yeah smallest different there have been whole armies i've painted and never played with yeah and like I, I i i don't view that as a waste of my time because i no. enjoy the research i enjoy the planning the painting the building all of that yeah, yeah the, the playing is sometimes incidental I, mean, I have never in i've never invested so much of my self-value into winning a game i have i have to win this game otherwise who am i you know there are some players out there who have just emotionally invested so much of their own self-value into i am this i am this game master and i'm gonna crush those before me it's just it's just a little bit i feel sorry for them if i'm honest tom yeah i do it's like i i do not care like i'd like to think i don't really derive a great deal of my self-worth from playing toy soldiers yeah it's it's a hobby and it's thing i do and it's i very much enjoy it and it's very much part of like my like mental health self-care and all that sort of stuff but it isn't like this is how i define myself as being able to win tournaments rolling i've definitely been in a situation of playing someone i'm like oh you have got a lot more emotionally invested in you you need to win this game and i'm just playing for fun so i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue cause of you um you know we're just having fun if you win that's fine I'll have a much more fun game than I would do from just like arguing every rule with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners have played those games where you realise after like about ten minutes, it's like oh, maybe less. Yeah, do I just lose this quicker so it's over, or do I like pull my socks out and just now become obstinate just because you're annoying me and try and play my socks off just to annoy you <laughs> yeah and then you go actually that's just making me a yeah. bit of an unpleasant person as well um, i was like you know I've, I've seen people turn up to the club and someone's gonna i've got this amazing i've broken the rules but you know breaking the game by coming up with this combination and the other person go oh great that's really clever i'm glad you've done that right so you've won the first game well done let's let's have another game but don't use that list what? Yeah. No, you've won. Well done. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to concede. Start my first turn. You've won. Great. Let's choose a new list and play again. But let's have one that's fun. But I, I think it also comes down to like your friend group and how you play, don't you? Because there, there, there are some groups of friends. I think there are probably some people at our club even who like to play that sort of what is the most broken thing I can come up with this week? What is... Yeah, but they agree before they meet. They say, like, I'm going to do this. It's going to be really broken. So you can bring your own really broken thing to me. Yeah. So it ends up being even. Yeah, it's it's like the the, the, the way I describe it, and it's, it's slightly graphic, is it's like kicky teeth in gaming. Yeah. It, it, it's there's I've come up with a list or whatever that's not going to be necessarily fun, but it's going to, it's going to be really it's yeah. going to be difficult for you to counter it's you're not you're going it's going to shut down whatever you can do yeah and it's, it's not going to be a fun 
experience to be on the receiving end of it. And yet I, I know people who actually know, like, I like trying to like, right, how do I come up with a counter of this really broken thing? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, or fortunately for me, I just don't enjoy that sort of stuff. It's, and I think primarily in historical gaming, you don't sort of really have that very much. It's not no. really much like, well, we're playing, you know, third battle of Yeep or something, but I've decided to have like a Pershing and a Tog 2 come along. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. You yeah. remember those? They were there. Yeah, it, it, it sort of, it doesn't work. And I think, like, I think the community at a whole, as a whole, is pretty reticent to games which allow that sort of rules breaking codex creep stuff into stuff where no we know what's there you can't suddenly you know give sherman's like anti-grav rounds or something like that or it just doesn't remember d-day the anti-grav shermans you remember those (laughs) yeah like it some games will push out well we, we, we found this like obscure unit or there was this like you know the puma was really good everyone can take you know every german yeah, you know, staff officer puma, yeah. now can have a, his own personal puma. We have four hundred forty-seven thousand of them produced. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's I, I yeah. I, I think for me, where I stand, people are infinitesimally more important than the game. Yeah, it's all about the people. It's the game is games come and go. Be a yeah. new edition in three years. Your self-value is not determined by how whether you win this game or not. You know, there's a social contract. People are more important. And sometimes I might just go, I, I was playing the game the other day and I was like, there was a there was a little bit of rules query about what would happen. And then I went, do you know what? I don't care. We'll just play it your way because I just want to have a fun game and not have a 20-minute discussion about something that's really not that important. Yeah. Just yeah, play that way. It's fine. We now know. That's, that's how we'll play it from now on. So last question for today is from Chris. And he says, in the last couple of podcasts, you allude to a growing love for smaller scales and Tom in particular, an increasing disdain for larger scales. Oh, you have so much disdain, Tom. I've <laughs> Do you been think- seeing you disdaining things like looking down. You've got a special chair to stand on to look down <laughs> at them. You're disdaining you think- stool. Do you think this is becoming more of a trend? And in your view, are the larger scales losing popularity due to cost, storage, painting time, etc.? Yes and no. Yes. Um, I don't. I completely agree. Um... I, yeah, I, I, I both agree and disagree. The same as Andy has just said. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm I, I, I wouldn't. I don't want Games Workshop are not making six, well, they are making eight mil, aren't they? They're making Titanicus. But they're not changing 40k and Warhammer, Age of Sigmar. They're not changing them over to like 10 mil anytime. They're still churning out 28 mil or perhaps actually 32 mil models now, aren't they, Tom? Yeah, I I think like I'm, I don't want listeners to think I am genuinely disdainful of larger scales. What I have realized is personally, I am no longer enthused about mass armies in a larger scale. I think 28, like two, three, four hundred figures in 28 mil is not something I want to really do again. I, and this is 
primarily due to my experience of painting the French army, which has taken me almost six months to build and paint. And I know, like previous to doing that, I painted a six mil French army of actually slightly larger size unit wise in about less than a month. Mm-hmm. And I've been playing with that many, many games. And I know if somebody says, do you want to play like a large scale Napoleonic game? I am always going to reach for that six mil army first for the simple fact that I can put it in a hold all if it's in two really useful boxes or like one nine litre box. It fits in my work bag almost. I could take it to the club easily on a Wednesday night, set it up and play a game with it in two and a half hours and job done. The Napoleon, the 28 mil army probably takes half an hour to set up, half an hour to put away. And it's just a much greater faff to travel about with. And also it will in time get more damaged by traveling around. If I was gaming at home and things, I had like a, a games room where things can just set up, I'd probably be, be playing with the 28 mil stuff all the time. I, th- I, I would like to think now that I am no longer going to be doing any more large scale 28 mil armies. And yeah. I, I've like put the, uh, I'm putting the caveat on myself really of, if anything involves more than two boxes of troops, I'm not doing it in 28 mil. I'll do it in a smaller scale. I think something that is happening in the industry, and I think especially in the historical community, is people ne- don't necessarily have the time or really the commitment to go, I am going to spend the next five years painting this Napoleonic army. They go, I want to paint something that might take a year but also they don't have the space to store thousands of figures for a single army anymore. And as like the manufacturers are now able to make really nice looking models in a smaller scale, mm-hmm. it's all, it, it fits into both. And I think it's, you know, the epic Waterloo stuff from Warlord, for example, looks really, really nice. Like you you blow those figures up like you look at the figures and like you zoom in on those figures there's not a huge amount of difference between those and like 28 mil figures of a generation ago yeah you you're like early noughties 28 mil plastics are probably worse than the the epic waterloo stuff like the victrix 12 mil world war ii stuff is gorgeous it it looks absolutely fantastic. And so, so many people are going, well, I'm going to do O-Group specifically so I can use these Victrix armor and stuff. It it just links itself into. And I think there is a, like, a growing, I think, like it, I, I find, and I don't know about you, Andy, I find it very difficult to like get an overall picture of what the hobby is because we all have very different viewpoints and like very mm-hmm. different vantages. And I think, especially when you're approaching it from social media's aspect, it's what the great algorithm decides to show you. Yes. And so from like my particular perch, 
I think there's, there's there's sort of like a split in gaming. It seems to be relatively small scale skirmish or larger, more strategic level stuff. It's, it's either like squad or battalion level. Mm -hmm. There's not really that much in the middle ground anymore. So it's almost like, well, you're playing with like, you know, dozens of units or three or four. It's yeah, I, I think it, it's that sort of seems to be the middle ground. And I think if you're playing with like three or four units, 28 mil is the way to go. You know, something like bolt action, you know, 30, 40 troops at the most, a tank, an yeah. armored car, that's sort of great. I think as soon as you start playing with, you know, I've got 15 sections of infantry and like a couple of troops of tanks and all sorts, then that's when you're moving into the smaller scale stuff because people just don't have the space. Um, and again, this is probably, it's probably different all over the world because I know like in America, far more people game at home. They're not having to travel. Yeah. People have got all, if they do travel, they might be traveling still to, like probably to like people who may have got a games room and a game space. So it might even be like. You might have like a, a 12 foot table or something else like I think there are there are very few places in Britain, I think, where people regularly game on a table bigger than a six by four. Uh, Maybe like, the Perry's. Uh, yeah, and you have to be like the, the Perry's or, you know, maybe in, in your club, if you're lucky. Like we are, we can we can you know, book, we can build any tables we want to if if we're having the day. But I think the vast majority of people's regular gaming is on a six by four, and you cannot do even on like a, a twelve by four. Once you've got loads of twenty eight mil figures on, they just haven't got room to really be moving them about. Whereas you took some six mil dudes on there, you've actually got room to play them on a table. So, um, no, do you have anything to add to the sort of? Oh, it's very thorough there, Tom. I mean, more convenient store, you know, you can get for bigger, more sweeping vistas of battles. Um, for me, it's just it's very it's just more efficient to store and play and transport. And it works very well, but I still love a 28 mil, 28 millimeter model to paint. But, you know, I've got an English Civil War, but um, battalion that I've got in 28 mil and it's just huge it takes up so much spaces in the storage at the moment not at home but certainly you know thinking about bringing it to the club it's like okay this is a this is a major project I'm gonna have to go and get it and then think I'm gonna get it down there whereas you know we're gonna be playing this Friday it's Friday it's Wednesday and I'll just have I'll just slip three or four boxes of 10 mil guys in my pocket <laughs> not my pockets in my bag and uh, we'll come. I'll come on down. It won't be any issue at all. Um, again, twenty-eight mil for the for the modelers and the converters and the painters. It's a much better scale for practicality of gaming. I think smaller scales are better. I think ten mil, as I said, ten mil's uh, my favourite because you you get the the painting aspect, but also the convenience. I think it works well for storage and well for for, for hobby. Um, yeah, I, th I think it, it maybe like almost all these questions we've had about the, the gaming and that sort of stuff. It comes down to what you're using it for, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I think like I would much rather turn up with. 40 
60 by 30 bases that takes me five minutes to get out of box and chucked on the table and we start rolling some dice and having a beverage and chatting and that then just okay give me half an hour while i sort all these out and then do anything I, repairs i had that orc army in 40k that was three cases and like 34 units and it was just like it took me an hour to set the thing up and then i'd start moving the units and I had to pack them away it's like i sold the army because i just didn't want to do it anymore killing my back leaning over the table you know i'm not even joking i'm so you know no it really it's, it's, it's my back in. i i think like if you are a regular gamer and like we both game primarily on a wednesday evening after we've both been to work and like we both often go straight from work to the club having armies that fit in our work bags just makes life so much easier and like traveling across london in rush hour with an army case or an army bag and like you know it's getting kicked and bashed about you just sort of wince every time something happens to it so it's just not practical to have like a big tote bag with four or five cases of english civil war or napoleonic dudes in well that's what happened the smaller scale dudes work really well for gaming points of view but there is something to be said for having painted you know nice 28 more dudes and like as much as i've been moaning about painting these french for months i do feel like i've gone slightly into chaos dwarf territory with them ah. I have got a 28 mil Napoleonic British army that I am going to paint, possibly starting on it next year. I'm not going to paint it in one go because I don't want another six months of painting one project. But I have enjoyed painting these French and it's been an enjoyable experience. And it is an army I'm going to keep forever. The same as my English Civil War army, like your English Civil War army that's in storage, yeah. Andy. They're there, but whenever, like, it's an event to play with them but when we get them out and put them on the table it's like such a visual spectacle it looks really yeah. cool but it's not something that you're going to be doing every day or every month or even yeah. every few months it's a once in a blue moon and yeah i could pick up a, i could pick up a, a unit at some point and add another unit in or some dragoons or add in what i like whenever i feel like it you know just well i think what well, yeah project, I think, you know i think with something like the english civil war like we all really like a lot of the stuff that bloody miniatures brings out oh yeah so we go i really really like that unit or i really like that model you just paint them put them in your unit like with my french when victrix bring out some more french cavalry i will probably be picking up some more of their cavalry units as they bring them out just to add them into the army yeah. because they're such really nice models and i i think I think large scale 28 mil armies, things like the Napoleonics, like anything, really, especially the historical armies, I think they are probably best looked at almost as like permanent ever long army projects. Yeah. You're either going to like, oh, I painted this, I've painted these units like 10 years ago, I'm repairing them and repaint, and got to like do some running repairs, and then we go, actually, these dragoons have got aren't really very good models, and this company's brought out some really nice dragoons. I might just swap out the dragoons and like sell or give them away, change the dragoons, or just repaint them. I think that's probably like as I go forward, I might start looking at more of like what I term like my evergreen, like permanent armies. Like I don't mm -hmm. intend to ever paint like from scratch a new royalist English Civil War army. 
the one I've got, I might, I, I need to repaint and repair some yeah. of it. But I think that is is how I will sort of go on. Um, and I think just like the, the other thing really about cost, I don't think smaller scale is necessarily cheaper. No. In in the scope that you're going, like it might be like right, I've got a hundred pounds, I can do a Napoleonic skirmish game in twenty eight mil, or I've got a hundred pounds in six mil. I can do a pretty big army in, in six mil. It's like obviously you can with six mil go right. I'm going to do a six mil. I'm going to do a Napoleonic skirmish game in six mil. It'll cost me like 20 quid. Mm-hmm. But generally, like my smaller scale armies aren't much cheaper, if any cheaper really, than like my bolt action armies or anything. There's just more of them. Yeah, there's bigger. Uh, and because they, 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 they fit in the trace of, and like, my Napoleonic six mil French army. I think it was probably only like 20, 30 quid cheaper than the 28 mil one. Uh, so, yeah, there's it's not so much the cost. For me, it's much more the practicality of gaming and stuff. But there's pros and cons for both. And, you know, everyone's groups will be different. Well, thank you very much, Andy, for going through these questions with me. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. We're going to be at Selwig. Uh, probably tomorrow when you listen to this so come and join us and come ask us some questions there and also if you want to hear me talk about axes viking weapons i'll be at the museum in london uh, on november the 13th it's a sunday at two o'clock to do my axe chat and you can come and hear me talking there and then we're gonna go to lord raglan for a pint so do come along if you want to so see you then and goodbye thanks everyone see you soon